Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And of course, we bring to you the riches of the eastern lung of the church. That's the term that Blessed John Paul II used. He said that church must breathe, and in fact it does, breathe with two lungs, east and west. But of course, not entirely the eastern lung and the western lung yet. We want to have reunion, as we know that the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church are not in communion with each other. This has been the case for a thousand years now over a thousand years, but there is progress, and we're going to talk about some of that progress today. But nonetheless, the church basically, although not perfectly or fully, not using its full lung capacity, it still does breathe with both lungs, east and west, and largely due to the fact that we have not only the Latin Rite Church, the Western Rites, but also the Eastern Catholic Churches, of which, of course, I am a member. I am a member of the Byzantine Catholic Church of the Ruthenian jurisdiction. But before we get to ecumenism, we also want to highlight what's happening in the Eastern Churches all around the world. We like to sort of keep up on things, especially, as you know, we've been on, on a program we've had many times. We've had Juliana Tamarazzi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, who has kept us abreast of what's happening in the Middle East, you know, the where Christianity was born, you know, the cradle of Christianity, where there is a, a lot of unrest, a lot of persecution of Christians. And it's not only there in the Middle East, but it's in other areas as well. There are problems elsewhere. And in fact, just recently, just to keep you up on things before we get into our advances in ecumenism between East and West, a couple of reports from around the world, especially the eastern part of the world. All of us are familiar from the secular media with the events that happened in the Middle East, especially in Egypt recently, and now, of course, in Syria and Libya, there has been rebellions against the existing governments. Well, always at the epicenter of these events, as we've always said on this program, are the Eastern churches, both Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. And this is the case also in areas such as Egypt. In fact, recently, very recently, and, and very regrettably, there was an incident of violence in which a number of people, 24 people in fact, were killed. And this happened in Egypt. What happened was this. There was a demonstration by Christians, mostly Coptic Christians, and there are what we call Coptic Eastern Catholic and Coptic Orthodox Christians. These are the Christians of Egypt very venerable in ancient, ancient churches. Remember, Egypt is where monasticism began. Egypt is a very, very rich center 
of Christian history. A lot of these Middle Eastern countries are, but we don't hear that very much in the secular news, which is why it's good that you're listening to us here at Light of the East, because you don't get that particular spin or emphasis. You get the stories of unrest and war and so on, and a lot of times the only way we associate these countries, like in the Middle East, is with terrorism or Islam and unrest and wars. But actually, these are great, great ancient biblical sites, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Egypt is certainly one of them. But recently, there was an incident in which Eastern Christians were protesting. They wanted to protest quietly and peacefully because what was happening was they're protesting the persecution that's happening to them at the hands of Islamic radicals in Egypt. And now with the transitional government and all the little bit of unrest or chaos or confusion there in that transition, the Christians are crying out because they don't believe that the government is protecting them. In a recent news article from Reuters, it says this, Christians who make up about 10% of Egypt's 80 million people blame the country's ruling military council for being too lenient on those behind a spate of anti-Christian attacks since Mubarak's ouster. As Egypt undergoes a chaotic power transition and security vacuum in the wake of the uprising, the Coptic Christian minority is particularly worried about the show of force by ultra-conservative Islamists. The violence casts a shadow over the imminent parliamentary election. Voting starts on November 28th with candidates due to begin registering during the week starting on Wednesday. The president said this, I call on Egyptian people, Muslims and Christians, women and children, young men and elders to hold their unity. The Christian protesters said that their demonstration began as a peaceful attempt to sit in at the television building. But then, they said, they came under attack by thugs in plain clothes who rained stones down on them and fired pellets. The protest was peaceful. We wanted to hold a sit-in as usual, said Isam Khalili, a protester wearing a white shirt with a cross on it. Thugs attacked us, and a military vehicle jumped over a sidewalk and ran over at least ten people. I saw them. In fact, the reports are rather gruesome. And these protesters, who started out being peaceful, again, they were Christians with a very legitimate gripe, a very legitimate protest. This persecution of Christians, especially Eastern Christians, Catholic and Orthodox, has been going on for quite some time and with a great deal of severity. We reported this many times on our program here, Light of the East. But in this particular incident, the protesters blame apparently the army and the police for either overreacting or however they reacted they tried to restore order or whatever, ended up hurting people, running people over, and so on, end up with 24 people dead. But and the, in fact, the report even said that when the police started running over people and being heavy-handed, that the Muslims and the Christians banded together against the police and to protect each other. So it's amazing how things work sometimes. But this is tragic and a reason for concern. And what concerns me as an Eastern Catholic is that we don't hear about this. You know, this is a global event, the center of which we will find, as always, the Eastern churches, especially in the global events of today in the Middle East. So we bring this to you because there is very little separation, especially in the Eastern lung of the church, between culture and church. Where you find the culture, you will find the church. Where you find the church, you will find culture. So if news is to report accurately, if it reports something having to do with the culture, such as riots and so on, it must necessarily also be a report about the condition of the church and of believers, and particularly believers of the eastern lung of the church. Quite frankly, that is the truth. The eastern Catholic churches and eastern Orthodox churches at the epicenter are some of the most significant, pivotal, and oftentimes tragic 
and potentially explosive events in our world today. So you've heard it here exclusively on Light of the East, so I'm so glad you're listening. Now we'll go to another part of the world, and this is India. And this one has a little bit of a closeness in my heart because I do a lot of work with the Indian communities, the communities, the Christian communities from India, the Cyril Malabar, Cyril Malankara, to be specific. In fact, just recently, they invited me to give a talk at their youth council. They had an ecumenical youth council. They had people of Indian descent who were actually Anglicans. They were other Protestant denominations. They were Orthodox, Malankar, Malabar, and they all came together in a youth gathering, and they asked me to give a talk. So I always enjoy being with my Indian Christian friends, especially the Silla Malabar and Silla Malankara, both Orthodox and Catholic. And so this report is a bit closer to my heart. What happened is, in India, and this is very surprising to me, I have to admit, in India, there's an article that says that as numbers shrink, the Roman Catholic Church in India urges the flock to have more children. Now, this is from the Washington Post, the Associated Press article of October 11th, 2011. Again, as numbers shrink, Roman Catholic Church in India urges flock to have more children. Now, what's interesting about this, and I have to qualify this, the article says Roman Catholic Church. However, a lot of the Christians in India, especially in the Kerala area, which is the southeast area of India, are actually of the Eastern Rite, Eastern Rite churches, like the Cyril Malabar, Cyril Malankar, both Catholic and Orthodox. So when we talk about the church in India, we're talking about, in a large sense, once again, the Eastern churches. And in fact, the Cyril Malabar church, which is an Eastern Rite church, is one of the biggest suppliers, as it were, of vocations even to the Latin Rite Church. It's a very vibrant church, especially here in America. I'm proud to say their cathedral, their eparchy, is right here in the Chicago area. And they have a new cathedral and a whole new lease on their life here in America and a whole new promising future. A great, great deal of hope and life in that church, the, the Cyril Malabar Church of India. Again, it's an Eastern Catholic church, obviously in full communion with the Pope of Rome but it is of the Eastern Lung nonetheless. And the Eastern Orthodox churches of Kerala, in other words, the Cyril Malankar Orthodox churches and Catholic churches, and also the Cyril Malabar churches, account for a great number of the Christians in India. And sometimes they're just sort of grouped together as in terms of the title of Roman Catholic. But to be specific, they're actually Eastern Rite Catholics and Orthodox Christians. And of course, there are Roman Catholics as well. But it's interesting that this article finds this church in a place where India, of all places, needs more people. The article says this, worried about its dwindling numbers, the Roman Catholic Church in southern India is exhorting its flock to have more children, with some parishes offering free schooling, medical care, and even cash bonuses for large families, church officials said Tuesday. Now, we're going to talk more about the situation in India, especially among the Eastern churches, and also some strides in ecumenism when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that 
Yo, Vada Lawyer wants you to come out and sock hop to the fabulous Neverly Brothers at the Joliet Moose Lodge. And they play everything from Chuck Berry to the Beatles. Hey, I'm talking to you. Not only can you dance, but you can have a sumptuous dinner buffet. Then challenge your memory at the trivia contest and take a chance on a 50-50 raffle. This great time is a fundraiser for Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Get that bill cream and head out to the Joliet Moose Lodge at 25 Springfield Avenue in Joliet. Saturday night, November 12th. Saturday night, November 12th at 6.30. Tickets at the door or on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. ByzantineCatholic.com for a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Saturday night, November 12th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Father Thomas Loya invites you to a special Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, November 13th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, where you'll hear the Ecclesia Choir sing the Byzantine Funeral Rite, sung with melodies from the Carpatho-Rusin tradition, and one newly composed Zvat Sanctus, but harmonized with both Eastern and Western sensibilities in mind. The entire work will be sung unaccompanied. The harmonization is by Ecclesia Director Timothy Woods. For ticket information, go to lincolnchamberproductions.org, lincolnchamberproductions.org. For the Ecclesia Choir Concert of the Byzantine Catholic Funeral Rite at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, at 3 p.m. Sunday, November 13th. Welcome back to the second part of Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer. We're bringing you up to date on some news events around the world, especially the Eastern world, which means the Eastern Christian world as well. Remember, as we've been saying here, one of the things to also to learn from this program is the close connection between culture and the church that is so much a part of the soul of the Eastern lung of the church. Certainly it was and is to a large extent in the Western lung of the church among the Roman Catholic Church too. But it's taken a different path. In the East, culture and church are almost inseparable. So if you talk about culture and global events, in the Eastern churches, in the Eastern nations, from Middle East to Central Europe all the way to the Far East, you're invariably talking about or must include in that discussion the Eastern churches, both Orthodox and Catholic. And that's why we're talking about these events today. Now, we're talking about the church in India, and the church in India is concerned about its dwindling population of all things. It's hard to imagine, because in India, the population is very large. But here's what the church is concerned about. The church in Kerala is also incensed by a bill drafted by a government panel recommending a strict two-child policy to check population growth. The bill, which is unlikely to become a law, suggests three months of imprisonment and a 10,000 rupee, that's a $200 fine in our language, a fine for couples with more than two children. So Kerala's Catholic parishes have launched a variety of programs, from free education to free medical care, said Reverend Joseph Kotayil of the Kerala Catholic Bishops' Council. Most begin offering the benefits with the fifth child, but the church helps poorer families with fewer children. Now here's the part that I really like. The St. Vincent de Paul Foreign Church in the Kerala town of Calpeta is offering a bond of 10,000 rupees, which again is $200 in our language, in the name of the fifth child. The money would be deposited in a bank until the child turns 18, church officials said. 
<laughs> so as the government <laughs> is going to levy fines for having more than two children, the Catholic Church, the church is going to step up and it's going to actually offer a monetary reward for having more than two children, especially if it's your fifth child. Now that's Catholic action. That's Catholic social justice in action. I love it. <laughs> so once again, our hat is off to the great witness of the Christians, especially Eastern Christians, Catholic and Orthodox, and of course our Latin Rite Christians as well in India, because they are facing some uh, real challenges there and a real opportunity for witness. So something like we've heard about in China over the years, where they actually discourage more than one or two children, and they especially discouraged if that child was a girl. They preferred boys. So now they have this great imbalance in China, of course, that you don't hear very much about. See, things always will go awry when we don't follow God's way, God's rhythm, God's laws, you know, God's numbers and averages. We think we know better. And those laws and averages and rhythms and truths are brought to the world by means of the church. The church is God's press secretary on earth. That's what I like to call the church. We're the press secretary. We come before the world and we simply explain what God is up to, what he wants us to know. And then we urge the world to follow what it is that God wants for us because we'll all be happier. Now, we're going to change a little bit and we're going to talk about, as I mentioned before, some strides in ecumenism between the Eastern Lung and Western Lungs of the Church, in particular, the Eastern Orthodox Churches and the Roman Catholic Church. Some interesting things have happened. In fact, recently, the Pope was honored by an Orthodox university. It's very gratifying for me to see that the Orthodox churches are really developing a great respect and admiration, a good relationship with Pope Benedict XVI. They had a good relationship with John Paul II as well. He made great strides also. But there was a little problem with John Paul II, and it wasn't his fault. He happened to have been born Polish. And although he made many overtures to the Eastern Orthodox churches in Russia, they basically he still got kind of a cool reception. So I guess it was for the Pope after him to make a little bit more progress in his own way and the way the Holy Spirit would work through the succeeding Pope, which of course is Benedict XVI. So there's been some progress even there between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church and the relationship between the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church and the bishops there and also this current pope. So as I mentioned, this pope, Benedict XVI, was honored by an Orthodox university. Again, this is an article from zenit.org from October 5th, 2011, zenit.org. At the end of today's general audience, Benedict XVI received the gold medal of the Apostle Jason of Thessalonica from a delegation of the Theology Department of the University of Thessalonica. The medal was given to him personally by the president of the Association of Postgraduates and Doctoral Candidates of the University, Stefanos Athanasiou, and by the Secretary General, Zizis Ziskos. In his greeting to English-speaking pilgrims gathered in St. Peter's Square this morning, the Holy Father addressed the delegation of the University of Thessalonica, saying that he felt, quote, profoundly honored by this kind gesture, which is an eloquent sign of the growing understanding and dialogue between Catholic and Orthodox Christians. I pray that it will be a presage of even greater progress in our efforts to respond in fidelity, truth, and charity to the Lord's call to unity, unquote, stressed the Pope. According to tradition, the Apostle Jason is one of the 70 disciples. He appears in Acts chapter 17 during St. Paul's preaching in Thessalonica. He is greatly venerated by the Orthodox and Eastern churches. So, again, another little bit of progress. And I'm going to explain to you over the next few programs 
why the Orthodox seem to be developing a special kind of respect for Benedict XVI. And this is due in some part by some of the changes that many of you of the Latin Rite are going to start experiencing in your churches, starting in, as I understand it, they'll take effect officially in November. Those are small changes in one sense, but they are actually small but mighty changes. There's a lot behind them, a lot of wonderful things behind them, which we're going to be explaining to you. Imagine that. Here I am a priest of the Eastern Church, and I'm going to explain to those of you who are Latin Rite the why behind some of the changes in your liturgy. But see, that goes to show you the beauty of the church and also the message of this program. See, our program brings to you not only the riches of the Eastern churches, but also the riches of both churches, East and West, and how we enrich each other. So we can actually look at each other and we can enrich each other. It was very much like a a man looking at a woman and saying to her, you know, you, you look very nice in that dress. You look very nice tonight. Or he might say to her, you know, you don't look too good. Are you not feeling well today? In other words, we can look at one another, or the woman might say to the man, you know, you look very good today. Or what's the matter, honey? Is there something on your mind? As man and woman can be in tune with each other, they kind of observe each other. They're in tune with each other's best, and they're in tune with each other's worst. So too it is in the church, as it is east and west. As an Eastern Catholic, I look at the Latin Rite Church, and I see and appreciate its best. And I also grow concerned whenever it is not at its best. And vice versa. Those of you in the Latin Rite can look at my church or the Eastern churches, and certainly you ought to, and you can be able to or should be able to say to us, oh, that is wonderful. That is really rich. That is your gift. Thank you for that. And at the same time, oh, I think maybe you're having some trouble in this area. How can we help? We want both of ourselves to be the best version of ourselves. And so we kind of cheer each other on. Sometimes we have to kind of chide each other, support each other, maybe even chastise each other a little bit, and also do a lot of apology too. Because ours has been a very varied history between East and West. Because, of course, the church is incarnated amongst fallible human beings. So it's a great drama. And there's all kinds of things that have happened just like in a great drama, heroic and joyful and wonderful things and awful things and everything in between. It's a drama of sin and redemption, of hurt and forgiveness, of mercy and of mercilessness. Just like any drama from history, the church is the same way because it involves humans, fallible humans, who strive nonetheless to become holy. Now, there's another development, as I mentioned, the relationship between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. And once again, the current Pope is at the center of it. And there's another article recently. This article comes to us from the Catholic News Service recently, and it's dated September 30th, 2011. A leading Russian Orthodox official says the Eastern Orthodox Churches have yet to resolve the question of authority among themselves, a condition for future progress on the issue of the papacy. See, the papacy, and especially papal infallibility, is probably the sticking point for the eastern lung of the church in terms of ecumenism, you know, reunion, full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Metropolitan Archbishop Hilarion Alfeyev of Volokolomask, head of the Moscow Patriarchate Department for External Church Relations, said this in a Vatican radio interview. 
I would say that there are certain divergences and there are different positions of the Orthodox churches on the question of the primacy. As we discuss the primacy of the Bishop of Rome within the framework of the next commission, we do not only discuss the primacy of Rome, but we have to touch the issue of the primacy in general, noted the Orthodox Metropolitan, apparently referring to future proceedings of the Joint International Commission for Theological Dialogue between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. And he says this, and here, of course, we have different traditions between the Catholics and the Orthodox because we never had such a centralized system as the Catholics have, but we also have some difference among the Orthodox as to what should be the role of the first hierarch in the Orthodox Church. The Patriarch of Constantinople occupies that role, but his prerogatives are not fully defined. Well, we're going to take this issue up about primacy within the Orthodox Churches and between the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church in some of our other programs, as well as the whole topic of ecumenism and why the Eastern Orthodox churches are growing more impressed with Benedict XVI, the Pope of Rome. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>